0: Right, we're talking about the marks of a healthy church, the nine marks of a healthy church. That's a really important topic because although right now you all are here, you know, probably in large part because this is where your family comes, before long you'll decide for yourselves where you, you, know, you want to go to church. Like, for example, you'll go off to college and you'll have to evaluate of all the different churches that are out there, where are you going to attend? And you'll have you know, you'll have good guidance, your parents will weigh in, but you'll have to determine what church is a good church. And, and what we're talking about now, the marks of a healthy church are like clues that you can use to investigate, to measure. Really, how do you measure what is a good church? It's like, you know, you talk about the fruit of the Spirit. A believer has fruit of the Spirit, and you use the fruit of the Spirit to, to evaluate if somebody's a genuine, authentic believer. And in the same way, the marks that we're talking about in this series help you evaluate a healthy assembly, a healthy church, to see if it is a biblical healthy church, whether you should, should go there. Now, let me give you an example. I was recently, my family and I we were recently in Europe. And uh, when you go to Europe, as some of you guys maybe know because you've been, you go to a lot of museums and you go to a lot of churches. And uh, some of these churches are really old. For example, you can go to church 1,500 years old. Now, if a church is 1,500 years old, is that the mark of a healthy church? I mean, it's been around a long time. Is that a mark of a healthy church? These are, this is like an easy part. Like, these are pretty easy questions. Who, tell, who thinks that is a mark of a healthy church? It's been around forever. Anybody think that? Who thinks that a 1500, just being around 1,500 years is not a mark of a healthy church? You're like, well, you know, you know I can't be right. What are, you, are you with me? That is not the mark of a healthy church. How, how, about, how about this? Um, it's huge. We went to some churches, I mean, and they were, I mean, you could fit 10 of these gyms inside one of the churches we went to. So it's just monstrous, just gigantic. Is that, is that the mark of a healthy church? It's just huge. What do you think, Mr. Day? No, I mean, but it's huge. I mean, I mean, like, why would you have a small church I and mean, a big church? That's gotta be legit, right? No, it's just it, so that's not a mark of a healthy church. We went to one church that that, and I'm not this is no hyperbole, has in fact the greatest display of art in the history of Western civilization. And and I'm I i, mean, I do not dispute that even. I mean, it was something. To behold. I mean, the beauty was matchless. I mean, I mean, I don't see any art in here. Okay. I mean, I'm talking about this is this is the best of the best. People travel. They go see this. It is beautiful artwork. Is that the mark of a healthy church? What do you guys think? I mean, people came from all over the world to see it. Must be must be something. So, that, is that the mark of a healthy church? Oh, no, So, grandeur and splendor and these incredible feats of man, you know, th- those are not marks of a healthy church. So, we're get, what are the marks of a healthy church? What are the, some of the ones you guys have already covered? This is important. because I mean, I, I, I have talked to people who are just kind of a couple of years ahead of you. And I'm talking, hey, where are you going to church? Well, here's what I'm thinking about. There's this church, and then there's this church. You know, they recite back to me the marks of a healthy church. So don't think that this is not a checklist that is going to have real application for you guys before you know it. So what are some of the marks you guys have already talked about? Yes, sir. Say it again. Conversion. Was that a good lesson? It was great, wasn't it? That's so important. I, mean, I hope you guys took really good notes because conversion—that is a real, true mark of a healthy church. Expository preaching, yeah. Why is that important? Right. So you got—you got—you got to know. You got to hold know the whole verse in context. What's it mean back then and forever? Yes. What's another mark of a healthy church? Church discipline. You don't see that a lot out there. It's pretty rare nowadays. Yes, ma'am. Bible study. Yeah, I mean, these are all the clues you use to know if it's a healthy church. And today we're going to talk about a very important mark, a critical mark of a healthy church. Today we're talking about evangelism. Evangelism. And so evangelism, it comes from the word euangelion. It's a Greek word we're not going to do a lot of Greek, but but that word euangelion, you know what it means? It translates into gospel. So if you're going to go out evangelizing, you are out gospeling. It's the act of gospeling. Evangelizing, evangelism is gospeling. And when we read about the gospel in the New Testament, it it refers to the gospel of God, the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Evangelism, which means gospel, is out as the act of gospeling to go out and share the gospel. So, but before you can share the gospel, what do you gotta know? Ah, oh, you see, there you go. You gotta know the gospel. Before you share the gospel, you've got to know the gospel. For example, the um there was a very famous football coach uh, way back when, and he was super successful. In fact, now they, he was so successful that if you go to the Super Bowl now and you win the Super Bowl, which is like the big thing in the NFL, that's like the main game, uh, you get the Lombardi Trophy because it's named after this guy because he was such a successful football coach. And so he would start every season the same way. Like so, before they get to the games, you know, they show up for the first practice. This is the best. And he's got a great team. And these are professional football players. But he would start the season the same way. In a meeting kind of like this, 36 players, and he would hold up a football. And you know what he'd say to these professional football players who were highly successful? He'd say, this is a football. Why'd he do that? He wanted to start with the basic basics. Like, we're all going to agree, before we go out and accomplish the mission, we're going to start with the most fundamental basic thing. This is a football. And so before you go out and evangelize, before you go share the gospel, you've got to know the gospel. So who could tell me the gospel? Who knows the gospel in here? Give me four, the four key elements. Who could tell me the gospel? Hold on, let's get of you. Yes, sir. Repent. Okay, repent and believe. Let's start. What's the first thing you got to know? You got to know about God. You got to know about God. God is is perfect and holy. What's the next thing? What's the next element? Yes, ma'am. Man is sinful. God is perfect and holy. Man is not. Man is sinful. What's the third element of the gospel? You got to know. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus what? Jesus came and he saved us from our sin. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He was resurrected. God, man, Jesus, what is the fourth thing you got to know to share the gospel? Yes, exa- that's exactly right. Hey, Mark, Who knows Mark 115b? Like we all, we, that's like your favorite thing to get in Bible quizzing, right? Mark 115b. What is Mark 115b? This quiet group over here. What's Mark 115b? Repent <laughs> and believe in the gospel. That's exactly right. So that, that, that is a fundamental element of the gospel, the basics. In fact, if you were to zoom out from Mark 115b, Repent and believe in the gospel. What, what is the context there? Because we talk about the importance of knowing the context of the verse. Where that, would that come from? Those are Jesus' words. And what was he doing when he shared repent and believe uh, in the gospel? Jesus came into Galilee. This is Mark uh, chapter 1, as you guys well know, verse 14 and 15. Jesus came into Galilee. What was he doing? Preaching the gospel of God. So Jesus is busy preaching the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus is evangelizing. So when we all know Mark 115b, the context is he's evangelizing, telling people to, to, that the kingdom of God is at hand. So here's your definition. Evangelism, evangelism, a mark of a healthy church. What is it? It is sharing with unbelievers the good news of Jesus Christ. Sharing with unbelievers the good news of Jesus Christ, what he did to save sinners, urging them to repent and believe in the gospel. So let's cover a couple of different points about biblical evangelism. How do you, how do you, how do you biblically evangelize? What are the keys? First, you've got to preach the whole gospel. You've got to preach the whole gospel. What do I mean by that? What do you think I mean by that? You've got to preach the whole gospel. Yes, ma'am. Like, what would you leave out? Yeah, like you, she's saying, you've got to tell them the whole story. You can't just leave parts out like that the person you're talking to is sinful. So, Biblical evangelism, you've got to tell the whole story. You've got to share the whole gospel, even the hard news. You can't, hey, God loves you. God has a plan for you. You're beautifully and wonderfully made. And you're meant for fellowship with God. All true. But you also happen to be a sinner in a state of sin. You have rejected God. So you've got to share the whole gospel. And you know You've got to let them know, hey, if you if you don't, repent and believe. If you don't repent and believe, you know what? You will perish. People want to leave that part out. So you got to share the whole gospel, the tough news that if you do not repent and believe, you will perish. You, you, know, um, you know who said that? Who said that if you don't repent and believe, you will perish? Who said that? We talk about context. It's important. You will perish. Anybody else? Any, any, any other takers? Oh, you, you helped him out. Jesus, those are the words of the Lord Jesus. i take them at face value. If you do not repent and believe, you will perish. That's why you got to share the whole gospel, because that is the whole truth according to Jesus. So you've got to share the whole gospel. you got to call people to repent of their sins and trust in Christ. And as we said, you've got to uh, you've share the gospel. God, all the elements. God, man, Jesus, repent and believe. Those are the four elements. That is the gospel. That is evangelism. So let's move on to our next point. Um, the Lord's view on evangelism. How did he feel about it? What was, his, what was his directive? What was the Lord's directive? Let me set this up for you before we jump in. I'm going to give you a little context. We're going to talk about Matthew chapter 28. Okay, this is after Jesus lives his perfect life, suffers a gruesome death, a brutal Horrific, gruesome, painful death on the cross, and he's buried in uh, Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, and then he's resurrected. So he's lived a full life, died, uh, resurrected, and now he's appeared. So this is a very dramatic time. The, the Lord has been resurrected, and he has appeared again to uh, his, his apostles. They worshiped him. So Jesus has them all together. This is uh, verses eighteen to twenty, and I want you to listen to this because what would you, what are you going to hear from the Lord Jesus in this most dramatic moment in history? I, I, I was there couldn't be another moment in history as dramatic as this one that the Lord Jesus is now resurrected and with his believers. What does he say? What does he need to share with them in this? moment after his resurrection, Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, listen, I am with you always even to the end of the age. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So what does he tell them? What does he, how does he instruct them in this moment? Make disciples. He's telling them, go teach. Go instruct. Go share. Evangelize. To whom? Who are we supposed to talk to? Like the, who, Lord Jesus, is it? Should should we be selective? Is it people like our age? Is it people we know? Is it people who, oh. All nations. Individually. uh, Everybody. All nations. All people. Every group. Everywhere. Exclude no one. Share with all nations. There's no limitation. Teaching them to observe, to hold fast to what I have instructed you, what I have taught you, what I have shown you. And then he encourages them, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's an interesting thing for the Lord Jesus to say to them as he commissions them, isn't it? I am with you always. Why does he do that? Why does he tell them that? Why does he give them that reassurance? Because he knows He just suffered and experienced firsthand how the world is going to receive this message of the gospel, this good news, having been crucified. But he's telling them, I will be with you always. Because he knows that every single one of them but one is going to suffer a painful early martyr death. They will all suffer for the cross. They will all suffer as a result of evangelizing. They will all suffer as a result of sharing the gospel. So he encourages them, I will be with you. I will be with you. You will be killed. You will will be outcast. You will not be well received. I will be with you. Now if you go through this, this is a a consistent uh, 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 reflection of his instruction to them as you move through the other Gospels, in Mark chapter 16, Jesus says, go into all the world in this same moment after the resurrection. He instructs them in the same way, preach the Gospel, evangelize, euangelion, the good news. The four elements, preach the Gospel to all creation. And he warns, what does he say? He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but... This is why you got to get to the whole story. You can't sugarcoat it. He who has disbelieved shall be condemned. The gospel is good news for the believer and bad news for the unbeliever. And that is what the Lord Jesus commends, commands them to go and share. Preach the gospel. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe. Believe. Be saved. Or be condemned. Jesus is saying it's a, it's a binary choice. It is, <laughs> the, the, the restaurant is there's fish and there's chicken on the menu. Okay, you pick one. There's no third. It's a binary choice. Be saved or be condemned. That is the gospel. And he says, I am with you to the end of the age. You think people want to be told they're going to be condemned because they're in a state of sin? People want to be told that? People don't want to be told that. That's why there's a need for reassurance. In Luke, similarly, in chapter 24, verses 45 to 49, uh, Jesus says, Repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. As the Father has sent me, listen to this. This is very important for us believers. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. In the same way that Jesus is sent out by the Father, he is sending us out. So what do we know from this? We know that evangelism is not an option. It's not an option. It's a directive. It's a command. There's an important element of that for us individually as believers, but it's also very important when you look at a church, if evangelism is a command from the Lord, it is a directive if that church is not evangelizing biblically, you don't belong in that church. It can hardly be called a church. That is how you measure that mark of a church. So, you, and he, so he tells you you've got to share the good news with all creation. And he sends us out. He sends us believers out as he was sent out. So that's the, that's the Lord Jesus' directive, his perspective, his command as it relates to evangelism. Both an a, uh, instruction to share the whole gospel with assurance that he is, he is with us to the end. Now let's look the next point is how did the early church, the early church's response, the early church's response to the Lord's command. I talked about George, the Lord Jesus appeared post-resurrection. He gave the clear instruction and he sent the believer out. To, to proclaim repentance and salvation to unbelievers. I want to look at a, one, one example, the first example. Let's look at how the apostles responded. We've talked about what Jesus' directive was. What did the apostles do with that? What did they do? In Mark 16, uh, ch- uh, verse 20, clearly they responded well. listen. They went out and preached everywhere while the Lord, listen to this, while the Lord worked with them. So they went out. They were obedient. They preached. That's like to proclaim like a herald. Now this vision, like, you know, like the little angels, like the little, like that's like, that's the word they preached. It's like they heralded the good news. They proclaimed it just like the Lord Jesus instructed them everywhere. Now listen to this. This is very interesting. I hope you write this down. It says the Lord worked with them. The Lord worked with them. You can look at the entire Bible from the table of contents to the maps, beginning to end. And this is the only instance in the whole Word of God where that expression is used. The Lord worked with them. That phrase is very unique and it's only used right here. What does that mean? Where do we get that? That word, that expression, in Greek, it's um, synergio. Synergio. We 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 have a word in English like that. Anybody know what I'm? Anybody know the word synergio? We have an English word from that Greek word synergy. What does synergy mean, Gresh? Two that. What's that? You guys are so smart. Two things working together. You can't sit in any meeting, in any kind of workplace, and not talk about synergy. Oh, we're going to get this group, and they're going to get with that group. There's going to be great synergy. Because you take two, two things, two separate things, and they work together, and they create a greater thing. And this word right here is the promise of, uh, from God that the Lord worked with them. The Lord synergized with them in the preaching of the gospel. So the Lord's activation and the, and the initiative of the believer coming together and having synergy for, to preach the gospel, to proclaim the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ coming and saving sinners from their sin. This is the only place where, where there's a promise of synergy in the work of the Lord. You want to have synergy with the Lord God? You want, to, you want to work with him and his work? Two things coming together for a greater outcome, a greater impact. That is what is promised. That is what is described here. The Lord worked with them. He had synergy with them. You want to have synergy with the Lord and his work? He's still at work. You know, think about it this way. You know, we my wife, my wife cleaning the uh Sweeping the kitchen floor. Forgive me if I shared the story with you, but she's in there sweeping up the floor and gets all the junk there together in a pile. This was a long time ago. Kids are young, Cheerios and Lego pieces and all kinds of junk down there, Cheetos. Getting it all together, sweeping, 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 sweeping. sweeping. And then, you know, she's got a got broom. It's an adult-sized broom. Then a kid comes along with their little kid-sized broom. They want to help. And they're going to sweep, sweep, sweep. And that little nice, neat pile is now spread out all over the kitchen floor again. All right, so you gotta start start sweep, 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 sweep again, sweep, sweep, get it all together again. And here comes the kid. Hey, sweep, sweep, they do their little part, it's all spread out all over again. Big mess. Say, so, hey, I bet. Wouldn't it be a lot easier if you just did it? <laughs> and you don't know, include, you know, the little helper? Well yeah, that'd be a lot quicker. it would be a lot quicker. But I, but I uh I want them to work with me. I want them to to be with me. I want them to learn with me. I want them to, over time, be able to imitate me. So, yeah, it'd be a lot quicker and a lot easier, but I want them doing it with me because that's fellowship and that's growth. And over time, they don't mess it up. And over time, they begin to act like her and be like her you want to work with the Lord? He doesn't need us for his evangelism. He didn't need anybody to go evangelize Paul. You know, this story of Paul, how, you know, the Lord Jesus just appeared to him, blinded him in a dramatic way. You think he, the Lord God needs you, needs me for his work, for his evangelism? He could evangelize the whole world and bat him an eye. He, he doesn't need us for that, but he wants us for that. He wants to synergize with us. He wants to synergize with his church for that purpose so that over time we act like him. Over time we, we, we work in the way he works. We look the way he looks. We share in the way he shares. So he wants to, sh- to synergize with us in that same way. Evangelism. It's the mark of a healthy church. It's the mark of a healthy believer. Let me share another example with you in response to the apostles. This is Peter they're all together with fellowship. Imagine, you know, they're they're kind of just hanging out, eating in an upper room. There, the Lord Jesus is departed. He said, "Hey, I'm going to go because I'm going to send my helper." And so they're all hanging out in Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit descends. And there's a crowd gathered outside, and Peter, you know, Peter, who was, um, you know, he he he. he was confronted by the little servant girl, remember, during Jesus' trial, and he, and he denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed, just like Jesus said he would. So, you know, not exactly a, uh, the strongest uh, guy in town, but now look at Peter after the resurrection, after seeing Jesus, after being restored, and after the descent of the Holy Spirit. And this is Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 41. Peter taking his stand with the eleven taking a stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to this group that was assembled outside of where they were located. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but he said, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. He's not afraid of any uh, servant girls anymore, it doesn't look like. This is a new Peter. He said, in this moment with the eleven, taking a stand And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene and a man attested to by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you yourselves know, you delivered him over. You nailed him to a cross. You put him to death. God raised him up. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, that Jesus whom you crucified. What what was their response when they heard it? Because they got the whole story. You crucified him. You were sinners. You were wrong. And he was resurrected. And he is the Lord. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. They got the whole story. What was their response? They're pierced to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, What shall we do? Peter said, Repent, be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. There were pierced to the heart. So you see, 3,000 converted that day. So you see, Peter, he's with the 11, he's taking a stand. That shows you, that tells you, evangelism can be a team sport. You can do it with a friend. You don't need to do it alone. You think, why does Justin put you in small groups? You know, you got big service. you got this service. you got all kinds of activities. you got basketball, like every night now it seems, like we're turning into a basketball league. you got, you got all kinds of stuff going on. But Justin very intentionally puts you in a small group. He I not just put you in some small group that Justin thinks would be the most edifying thing for you. Justin wants to know what group you want to be in? Who do you want to be with? Why is it, that is the smallest, you know, uh, uh, collection of little friends. When you take this big church that gets bigger every day and you shrink it down, the smallest collection is your little small group. And even in your little small group, there's probably like well, this little group and that little group. Kinda, so even in that small group, there's probably a smaller group. He does that so you can have fellowship. Real, genuine, authentic, Christian, Jesus-based fellowship. And that is the group that you have selected. So don't think you got to go and evangelize alone. That is your group. Those are your people. Use them for accountability. Use them for encouragement. And use them to have strength and encouragement for evangelism. You don't need to go it alone. Peter didn't go it alone. He had a group. He stood with his 11. And he told hard truths. You nailed him to the cross. You rejected him. You know, it's important to tell the hard truth. It's important to tell the whole gospel. You know, a lot of you guys drive. If you don't drive, you're maybe learning to drive. And if you're not learning to drive, you'll soon be learning to drive. You just can't wait to learn to drive. As somebody who has taught people to learn to drive, or somebody who's taught people to drive, you know what you never do when you're teaching somebody to drive? You never sugarcoat it. No, you're not like, well, I think that's a really great effort to look both ways you know, left, right, left. That's a good job. I mean, that's really, it's all, you're almost doing it, really. I mean, this is almost safe for us. Now, you almost stopped at the red light, and you really, I'm so proud of almost stopping. You just kind of rolled right through, and, you know, we almost got hit by that big bus. But it's okay. It's such a, you know, I just, I, I don't want you to feel, I don't want you to feel, you know, uncomfortable. I don't want you to feel like I'm angry or you've done something wrong. Uh, no, <laughs> that's not how you teach me to drive. Uh, you're like, hey, listen. Here's how it, th- th- you go. This, that's a full stop. And you don't do full stop, okay? You count to a, you know three, four. You don't go full stop. You're gonna get yourself killed, and you're gonna get other people killed. You get me killed, okay? There's no sugarcoating. You took black and white, and you insist on it being that way. Why? Not because you want to stay alive, although you do. But that kid is gonna go off one day in your car. They're going to go off, and if you kind of sugarcoat it, they're going to get themselves killed. And you didn't do them any favors. you got to give them the truth. It, urgently. The gospel is no different. The gospel is no different. you got to give people the truth. You're not doing them any, any favors. Like, well, you know, they're just so nice. They're so, well, they're smart. they got these other attributes. No, there are, there are no other attributes. Okay, you got to start with the truth. Give them the truth. You don't do them any favors. Peter wasn't worried about making people uncomfortable. He's like, well, you know, you know generally people were, you know, nailed you. no, no, you nailed them to the cross. He, he wasn't concerned with whether they held the hammer. He wasn't concerned if they had the nails. Like, you did it. You nailed them to the cross. And they were pierced to the heart. you got to repent of your sins. The truth is a sword. And Peter didn't mince words. Now, let me give you another example. So that was Peter kind of preaching, evangelizing that's the, uh, to the group. So you know that if that's Jesus' command, you see Peter and the 11 doing it, uh, that's, that's biblical. That's the mark of a healthy church. Peter's doing it. The 11 are doing it. Jesus commanded it. You want to be in a group that's doing it. That's why evangelism is the mark of a healthy church. That's the group. Let's look one-on-one. Very interesting story, evangelizing one-on-one. This is Acts chapter 8, uh, verses 25 to 40. So we catch the um this collection of believers at the time. They were preaching the gospel. Right they what are they doing? They're busy preaching the gospel to many villages. Of who? Of the Samaritans. You guys know the Samaritans, they're they're on the outs. This is not the cool kids. These are the Samaritans. And the the believers are busy preaching the gospel to the many villages of the Samaritans. And an angel of the Lord appears to one of the believers, to Philip. And he gives him some specific instruction. Go south. Uh, I want you to go down to this road. I want you to connect with this person. Uh, this person uh, is a senior official. I'll just read it to you. Verse 27 Uh, So after Philip gets this instruction, he runs down, and he got up and he went, uh, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. He was in charge of all of her treasure. He came to Jerusalem to worship, Uh, and then he was returning, and he was sitting in his chariot, and he was reading to the prophet Isaiah, and the Spirit told Philip, run up to this chariot, go on up. And Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And Philip said, Philip asked him, Hey, um, hey, uh, do do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? How how can I understand what I'm reading unless someone guides me? And so he explained uh, that passage of Isaiah, and he preached Jesus to him. And then this official uh, was baptized and then Philip went on preaching the gospel to the other cities in Caesarea. Now I want I want to kind of unpack a couple of things here. This guy, he's like he's in charge of the whole treasury for the for this uh, senior, this queen of Ethiopia. So he's like the secretary of the treasury. There's a very accomplished guy. There's a very important guy. But he's up in Jerusalem worshiping. But he doesn't know what he's worshiping. He he he's so he's kind of there on the periphery and uh he he has some sense that that he wants to worship that there's a true god that 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 there is a truth out there that's different than what he had historically done and he wants to go and he wants to worship and he's up there trying to worship now what's interesting is um there you know Philip is off busy preaching the gospel and this very accomplished eunuch is uh, returning from worship and the question is do you understand what you're reading? Now, there's a difference between reading and understanding. You know, maybe we're like that, or you know people like that. They're just reading, but they're not understanding. You know, you could take this approach, you could take a very analytical, academic approach to try to understand the Word of God. But that is not how you understand the Word of God as a, as a history book or as an analytical uh, uh, effort to merely unpack what it's saying. It's not merely that. So Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? Because there's a difference between the two. And what does he tell? Well, How does he respond? I, you know, I can't teach myself what I don't know. How can I teach myself what I, what I don't know? So what was his response? What did, what did Philip do? Philip preached Jesus. He preached Jesus. See, God uses and he seeks to use believers to synergize with believers to preach Jesus. The most basic, the first principle, the first step is preaching Jesus. And that's what Philip did. Philip ensured that it all starts with preaching Jesus to him. So a healthy church is a church that is evangelizing, that is preaching Jesus. You know, there are a lot of churches that got all kinds of things going for them, but are they preaching Jesus? Are they preaching all of Jesus, what he commanded, all of his work? And that was what Philip set out to do, the importance of preaching Jesus. And of course, uh, so the eunuch came to understand through Philip's evangelism, and he was baptized. And then Philip went about and continued preaching the entire gospel uh, to all the cities he came to in Caesarea. He was busy doing the work of evangelism. Let me give you a further example that speaks to the importance of evangelism, the importance of evangelism. You know, Peter, in in Acts chapter 10, Peter meets with a Roman soldier, Cornelius. But before we get there, you know, uh, Cornelius is praying and an angel appeared to him and said, hey, you need to send for Peter. And Peter had had a vision you know, that uh, of this blanket coming down when things that were clean and unclean, and Peter had never taken part in anything unclean. And his response is, I don't, you know, I don't want to take part in anything unclean. And then the Lord says to him, Whatever I've said is clean, you don't say is unclean. And that was kind of an a encrypted way for Peter to understand that it is that he should go and he should communicate with, with these Gentiles. Because Cornelius is not just a Gentile, he is a soldier of the Roman Empire occupying this area. So this is, you know, like tax collector level, you know, um, you, you know, separation. I mean, this is a Roman soldier. So Cornelius sent for Peter, and, and he says, we're present to hear what you have commanded. So, so when Peter gets there, that's Cornelius' invitation. He says, hey, we're all present. We're here to hear, hear what, what you, Peter, have been commanded What's the command you've received? Because Cornelius, he's a military guy, and he's thinking in terms of hierarchy and who orders whom around, and what are the commands? What are the orders? What's the mission? What have you been commanded? So Acts chapter ten, verses twenty-two to thirty-one, and then again, and we're going to read from uh, forty-two, which goes into forty-eight. L- listen to Peter's response, because Cornelius says, "What have you been commanded?" Peter says, he, Jesus, ordered us. Jesus ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and dead. So Peter explains that evangelism, it's an order for the believer. It is an order he received from Jesus. So it's not just because, you know, we love Jesus and he saved us from our sin, and that he has done this amazing work on the cross, and he has set us free from condemnation, that he has ordered us, he has ordered Peter to preach to the people. It is an order. So if your master is the Lord Jesus, that is your order. For any assembly of authentic Christian believers, that is their order. That is the command the Lord has given them. So, we could go on and on to share about evangelism, is basically to share about the entire Bible. But in Acts 13, uh, Paul explains the gospel which I preach to you, which you have received, in which you also stand, by which you are saved, hold fast to the word which I preach to you. You know, Paul, throughout all of his letters, is talking about preaching the gospel, hold fast in the gospel. You stand in the gospel. I preach this gospel to you. You preach this gospel to others. So throughout all of the apostles, they're working diligently and preaching the gospel. So the next point, let's look at the early church's attitude. Let's look at their attitude toward evangelism. What is their attitude? Were they merely following orders? I mean, it was an order. Peter said, "I was ordered to do this." Is Peter just following orders? Is it a chore? Let's look at what Paul said in Romans chapter 1. Paul said, For my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am eager and I'm not ashamed. For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. Are we so eager? He is eager to share the gospel, he is unashamed of the gospel. Let me ask you. You know the. Um, I uh, if you are eager, if you are eager to share the gospel, then everything that you encounter is like an opportunity to share the gospel. You know, some of you, uh, some of you guys know, there was uh, you know we did a seven-on-seven league, uh, and because the guy orchestrating and leading this league is eager to share the gospel, you know the condition of the seven-on-seven league was the gospel. This is not a church league. This is just a league for some kids at the school. But the guy leading the charge, your youth pastor, is eager and unashamed to share the gospel. So if you're going to come to this seven-on-seven league, you're going to hear the gospel. So we're there. And I was like one of the refs. And, um, and they're there. And before, before they get to seven-on-seven, seven, he's preaching the gospel and, letting, and sharing the whole gospel. God is perfect. You, kiddos, I know you were here to play football, but you're all wretched sinners. <laughs> because he's eager to share the gospel and unashamed to share the gospel. You know, a little seven-on-seven seven league. Goodness, you know what? That's the perfect opportunity. Uh, You know, I can assure you there's a lot of seven on 7 There's a lot of football leagues going on in the summer all throughout this great state, and they're not all thinking, oh, wait, this is the perfect time to share the gospel. Not your youth pastor. You know why? Because when you're eager to share the gospel, everything is an opportunity to share the gospel if you're not ashamed. You know, by comparison, when we were in Europe, we went to these Fabulous, majestic churches with the greatest artwork ever. People literally traveling like us, thousands of miles, waiting an hour-long lines, you know, to go and check it all out. And and it's all supposed to be, it's supposed to be about the gospel. And we're all there, and that means people from all over the world. I mean, the crowds you could you could barely even you know you're like trying to get like this, and, you know. You know, they got a captive audience, people who are running these buildings. they share the gospel? Are they eager to share the gospel? I didn't hear the gospel. I Man, I saw some cool stuff, but nobody shared the gospel with me, even though I had traveled all that way to go into their stuff and to go into their buildings and to see what they have to offer, like people from all over the world. But they're not, they didn't see that and be like, oh, wow, we've got thousands of people in our building, literally from all over the world. Should we share the gospel? It doesn't look like a good opportunity to me. I don't think this is a good time. Let them just kind of tour around. Is that eager to share the gospel? No, that is a mark of a church that is not eager to share the gospel. So on the one hand, if you're eager, you know, sitting out on a hot football field is the perfect opportunity because every opportunity is the perfect opportunity for the gospel because that's the first thing. But if you're not eager to share the gospel, there will never be the right opportunity. You will always wait till tomorrow, till things are just a little different. So the mark of a healthy church is a church that is eager to share the gospel. So let me conclude with a couple of points. We're going to share the gospel with the four basic elements. The four basic elements. We can't leave until we got the four basic elements down. You guys are in high school. And I know you know, so just. Uh... God is perfect. Man is not. Like, not generally, not generically, like you. Sinner. Uh, Jesus died on the cross to deliver us from our sin to save us from our sin, to save us from God's wrath. He reigns forever. Repent and believe in the gospel. Mark 115b. That's why Justin had you memorize it. Those are the four elements. That is the most basic element, the gospel. You all are here. If you're a believer and you're here, it's because somebody shared the gospel with you. You were evangelized. If you are saved from your sin, if you are walking with the Lord Jesus, it's because you had the great benefit of a believer sharing the gospel with you. Maybe it was, you know, in this context. Maybe it was your small group leader. Maybe you heard Tom. Maybe it was your parents at a young age. So if you are authentically walking with the Lord Jesus because you've been evangelized and you get to experience that fellowship with the Lord, evangelize. And be sure that you are in a church that is evangelizing. Do you not see the benefit to you? Is there no joy in your walk? Are you eager? Are you unashamed if you are evangelized? So I'd encourage you as a point of application to do this. Write down a name. Pray for that name. Pray for that person. And think creatively how you want to share the gospel with that unbeliever, you are in a healthy church where the evangelism is important. Is it important to you? I pray that you will always be in a church that has that mark of uh, being a biblical, healthy church. Let's pray together, dear Lord God. Thank you for this time, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would instruct us, that you would teach us, that you would synergize with us, that you would work with us as you did the early church in sharing your gospel with unbelievers to make you known, to glorify you in this world, and that we would faithfully serve and honor you in every way we can. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.